journey throughout life. And on this journey of life, you and I, all of us, have to make choices. Uh, back in 2010, a, uh, a professor at Columbia University uh, did some research and was trying to figure out how many choices a person makes in their lifetime. And, and uh, this, uh, this professor at Columbia University estimates that the average person makes 70 decisions a day, at least 70 decisions a day. Now, these decisions, not all of them are earth-shattering decisions. Some of the decisions are, am I going to eat a hamburger or am I going to eat a hot dog, okay? You will have to make that decision when you get across the street here in a little while. Some of them are minor decisions, but some of them are major decisions. 70 decisions a day on average. Um, not only that, that that's about 25,000, a little more, about 25,500 decisions a year that the average person makes. And if you think about that, you think about someone who just lives, let's say, 70 years in a span of 70 years, that comes out to 1.78 million decisions for the average person in their lifetime. A, uh, a, a former winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, Albert Camus, once said that life is the sum of all your choices. Life is the sum of all your choices. You know, I, I know in my life I am constantly asking myself the question of whether or not I am making decisions that accurately reflect who I am as a Christ follower. Are, 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 my, are my choices reflective of God's plan for my life? Does, does my life reflect the glory of God or does it reflect the glory of me? And when it comes down to it, the choices that we make often reveal to us how deeply we trust God. And so this morning, as we look at these two passages, we're going to see two accounts of two different people who made two different choices with two different outcomes. I want to look first in Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. If you are familiar with this, uh, what's going on uh, in this passage is that... Uh, is that Jesus, when we drop into scripture here, Jesus is on the way to the house of a man named Jairus in the synagogue, uh, who was a leader of the synagogue, and uh, who had come and said, would you please come and heal my child? Please come and heal my child. She's gravely sick. Will you come heal my child? And so Jesus says, okay, I'll come. And so he's on his way to the house, and, and as he is going to the house, uh, he is being surrounded by all of these people, and a, a crowd gathers because it's Jesus. Jesus is here, and so a crowd gathers. Everybody wants to see him, and everybody wants to talk to him, and, uh, and so he's on his way, and, and, and that's what's going on right here in Luke 8 when we pick up on in verse... We're actually going to pick up in verse... Um, 43 here. Verse 43. Here we go. It says, A woman suffering from, a, from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors, yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. Instantly her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crows are the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. And in the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him. 
and how she was instantly cured. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. Father, we are so thankful to see these historical accounts. Father, these are not fairy tales. We know they are not fable. This is not mythology. But God, these are actual historical accounts of how you have worked in lives. And Father, I pray that we would be able to, um, Father, understand. Uh, and Father, that we would hear what you have for us here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see in this passage is that here's a woman that had a problem that she could not fix. This woman had a problem she could not fix. Verse 43 says that she had a bleeding disease for 12 years. She was hemorrhaging for 12 years. It was, it maybe, maybe it wasn't uh, all the time, every day, but it never went away. Whatever it was, whatever the condition, it could not be healed. She had been to everybody. Not only was the problem bigger than she was, but it was a problem she could not fix, but it was a problem that nobody could fix. It, uh, scripture says that she had exhausted all of her resources, that she had spent all she had on doctors. And, and uh, you know, I, I imagine in that condition you go to a traditional doctor first, and the traditional doctor tries uh, tries traditional treatment methods, and that doesn't work. And so then maybe you go to non-traditional doctors, and you try experimental treatments if you have the money and the resources and, and, and the, uh, the ability to. But, but that didn't work. And so here she is, uh, has exhausted everything she had. She, everything she had was gone, and after all that she's been through and all of the sickness and the disease and everything that comes with it, all the money that she has spent, all she has left is this disease, this sickness. See, we have to understand the condition she had, it was a medical disease, but it was a social disease too. It was a social disease because in those days, because she was bleeding uh, in the nature of her, of, of her ailment, she was considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. And, and, and so she was not able to do things that normal people were able to do. Uh, in, in fact, it, she was uh, discouraged from touching others. If she touched somebody else and she was ceremoniously unclean because she had this bleeding there was the fear. Uh, they knew that, that uh, the disease can, can travel through the blood. And so if you had a bleeding disease or a skin disease, you were like, like leprosy. We've talked about in the past. You were isolated from the general population. You were not allowed to go and worship in the temple. This, this woman, she had this medical disease, but it became a social disease because she was isolated from her family. She would, have been, she would not have been able to have the same contact with family and friends, she was not able to go and worship God at the temple. She was not able to go and gather with God's people and hear the teaching of God's word and sing praises to, to, uh, to the Lord. And so we understand that this disease, this was hard. I mean, this wasn't just she was kind of sick and people thought she had the cooties. I mean, she, she literally, she had a, she had a disease that, that they feared could be contagious but it, it, it made her unable to be able to do all the things that she would have loved to do in order to worship God. See, she was facing problems in life. We all face problems in life, don't we? 
could be health, career, marriage, family, friends. Uh, we face all kinds of issues, and we may face problems in life that are bigger than us, but we have to understand that none of them are bigger than God. The problems that you have, they may be bigger than you, but they are not bigger than God. Every day at Vacation Bible School this week, kids are going to hear a theme. And the theme of every day this week has to do with the fact that God is good. God is good in, in every situation. Really, that's what we're teaching our children this week at Vacation Bible School, is that God is so good. And on Tuesday, one of the themes, or the theme that they're going to hear on Tuesday, is that even when life is scary, God is good. Even when life is scary, God is good. Here is a woman who had a serious problem. She had a scary problem, and it could eventually lead to death. This disease isolated her from her loved ones, her friends, from taking part in worship. You know, it, it, it really affected her entire life. She spent all of her money trying to get healthy, and now she was busted. She was broke financially, and, and yet she still has this problem that she cannot fix. She had a problem she couldn't fix, but also we see she was desperate for God. Here's a woman, she had a problem, but here we see... The second thing is that she was desperate for God. It says, verse 44, that she approached from behind and she touched the tassel of his robe. Now remember what we said, Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus and to, to, to heal somebody else. And, and as, he, as he is walking to the house, it says that crowds were pressing in, they were crushing in on him, they were, they were just everywhere. I mean, imagine... When you see on TV, you see these movie stars walking around and all the paparazzi is, 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 is taking pictures and, and there's an entourage around them. And, and you know, here's Jesus with his entourage of his disciples. And, and as they're walking to go and do spiritual things and godly things, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody wants to, wants to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus heal somebody. They've got something that they need fixed in their life. And so they say, hey, Jesus... I got something for you to do. Would you do this for me? Uh, you know, everybody wants to see Jesus like he's a rock star. And here he, and here he is going on his way to this house. And, but, but yet there's this woman. And she is in desperate need of help. And she sees Jesus walking to this house. She, maybe she heard about it first and, and she, she, she came out of wherever she was. Maybe she just looked up randomly and Jesus was there. I don't know. But I know that she, she sees Jesus at some point. And she knows instantly. She knows that Jesus is the answer. She knows that, uh, that, that although nobody could heal her, she knew that Jesus was the answer. She was desperate. You know, because of her disease, remember I said it was a, a, a physical disease, but it's a social disease as well? Remember that? Imagine how she must have felt. Number one, she's not supposed to be out in public because everybody's afraid if she touches them that they'll be unclean and they'll have to go through a, 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 a sanctification, clean, clean, uh, re-cleansing process in order to worship again. And, and so everybody's afraid of her. Imagine the social stigma of everybody looking at her and thinking, oh, there's that, oh, there's that lady that's got that bleeding disease. Oh, everybody stay away from her. 
I mean, imagine how that would have made her feel. How embarrassed it would have made her feel. Imagine the, the shame that she probably felt because even though, even though there's no indication of this at all, in that culture, in that day, it was assumed if you had a disability, if you had a disease, if you whether it was leprosy, a bleeding disease, if you uh, were disabled, it, it was assumed that, hey, maybe that person or that person's parents did something and God got mad at them and, and just, just put, the, you know, uh, put a whooping on this poor kid that was born, you know? Uh, and, and so that, that's, that's what people assume. They had no idea that, that God actually had a plan. God was doing something with that. God was going to, uh, God was, had a purpose for that woman, even though she had a problem and a disease and even uh, what would, may have been considered in those days a disability. God had a plan and a purpose for her. But see, she probably didn't feel that all the time because a lot of people probably said, I wonder what she did. I wonder what her parents did to make God mad at them. Let me tell you something, that's not how God works, okay? That's not how God works, but that's what they assumed in those days. And so you can imagine how hard it was for her to get out in front of everybody and to get down to try to reach the tassel of the robe of the Messiah of God. You have to understand how much courage that would have taken her, how, how much uh, getting over fear and awkwardness and all of those things it, it would have, it would have uh, required of her in order to do that. But she did that because she understood that Jesus could heal her. She knew that he was the answer. She believed with all of her heart that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew that here's this guy that people were saying uh, was the Messiah. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. He's recognized as a spiritual leader. Uh, but she knew that Jesus was not just any rabbi. She understood that he was the Son of God, that he had the power to heal her. And she believed it so much, she knew that if she only could just even touch the edge of his robe, that he had the power to heal her. You, you ever wondered why she touched his tassel? You ever wonder why it says she touched the tassel of the robe? You know, it's interesting, it tells us a couple things about what she probably believed. One is what we just said, that Jesus had the power to heal her. I think it shows her desperation that she touched the, the tassel of his robe because you know what that means, that she touched the tassel of the robe? You know what that means? It means that she touched the bottom of his robe. The bottom. Because see, rabbis and, and men of God were were instructed to wear these, these robes with these tassels, and the tassels represented something. But, but we see that she went to touch the tassel. You know what that means? Think about it. There's all these people crowding around her. They're pressing in. How, if she's not supposed to touch anybody, how is she supposed to get to Jesus with everybody around him? I think, the Scripture doesn't say this, but I think that she had to get down on her hands and knees and she had to crawl around some of the feet, maybe even through the feet, in the dirt, with the smelly, sweaty, nasty feet all around her. You understand how demeaning and how humbling that would have been to put yourself down in that situation and just maybe even reaching in between or around somebody to touch the tassel of the robe of the Son of the Most High God. She was desperate. 
And suddenly, it didn't matter what people thought. Suddenly, it didn't matter what the social stigma was. Suddenly, it's not that maybe she was no longer afraid, but the desperation to, uh, to connect and to touch, uh, touch the Son of God, the desperation to be healed, was fueling her more than her fear was. So the fact that she touched the tassel, it shows that she was desperate because she believed in the power of God, but it also shows something that she believed about him. She, it, it, it suggests that she believed that he was holy. They, she believed that he was holy because if you, if you know anything about the Old Testament and, and the Old Testament instructions and numbers, the Lord proclaimed, he said, it shall be a tassel, talking about the tassel on the robe, it should be a tassel for you to look, for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes. He says, so that you will remember to do my commandments and to be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God and I am the Lord your God. Again, he says that. I think that when she touched the tassel, I think that, 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 that represents the fact that she believed that Jesus was holy. She believed that he was from God. She believed that, uh, that, that, that he had the power to, uh, to, uh, to heal her. And that belief fueled that, uh, was fueled by, uh, by the holiness of God's Messiah. Listen, listen, we live in a world today where people just are not very desperate for God. I mean, there are some, I mean, don't get me wrong, you'll, if you look around, you'll find people that are desperate for God, but for the average person, and even the average person who says, I am a Christian, which doesn't mean that they really are, it just means that they um, sort of identify themselves as being a Christian, uh, but for the average person who identifies to be a Christian, I, I think that for a lot of people in the church today and, and, and throughout our culture in America, I think the things of God are just an afterthought. I mean, they have, may have some affection for church, some of them, because they went with a parent or grandparent when they were young, or they came to vacation Bible school, but at the end of the day, they're just not very desperate for God. I think the reason why they're not as desperate for God as they should be is because many of us have forgotten how holy God is. God is holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory. And I, listen, I, I don't know what you're facing in life today. I, I don't know what kind of troubles, if you're facing any today. I don't know um, if you're not. I'll tell you, you're going to face troubles in the future at some point. But I don't know what it is. I don't know what it will be. But I do know this. I do know that whatever you're facing, whatever you're going to face, Jesus is the answer. The answer can be found through the power of God at work within your heart. If you would turn to him and trust him, we serve a holy, a mighty, and a powerful God. And the more you understand that, the more you're going to learn how impossible it is to face the challenges of life apart from him. Listen, are you desperate for God? How desperate are you? Because, because when you're desperate for God, it doesn't matter as much what the outside world thinks. It doesn't matter as much whether or not you're considered politically correct or woke. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's fine if that's what God has, has led you to, but if you following the, the word of God and living according to God's word because you're desperate for God, 
to be at work in your life, if that means that people look at you differently and you're, you're different from somebody or someone makes fun of you or they don't like something that you do or, or they treat you bad, that really doesn't matter when you're desperate for God. None of it really matters. None of it mattered to this woman. She had a problem that was bigger than she was and she was desperate for God. But we, we see right here that she was healed physically. It says when she touched the tassel on that garment, on that robe, it says instantly, instantly she was healed. Listen, that reminds us about the power of God at work in, in our lives. It reminds us that if we choose to trust God, that he will work in power. So we're saying, well, are you telling me that God's always going to heal every illness? I'm not saying that, okay? The reality is, is, that, is that God does not always heal us physically. God does not always do everything that we want Him to do. But we understand that even though He may not always heal us physically, He never forces us to face those problems alone. He never forces us, even though the physical uh, things in your life may not be changing as quickly as you want it to. You may not see the results that you really want to see. You're not forced to face it alone because there is a God that loves you and He cares about you and He is there for you. And yes, there are times that He may heal you. He may fix that problem. He may do whatever it is that you have been praying that He would do. But even if He does not, He is not going to force you to do it alone we see that she was she had a problem bigger than herself she was desperate for god and, and in that desperation god worked in power she was healed physically the other thing that we see here is that she was unashamed look at verse 47 it says that when the woman saw that she was discovered she came trembling and fell down before him and in the presence of all the people she declared the reason why she had touched him and that she had been healed now, remember the social stigma of this disease. I know many people, women and men included, who if they had this problem or anything similar to it, it would have been embarrassing. You know, especially in that culture, being afraid to be, be, be isolated and, and be stigmatized as being unclean. Now, that was something that, that God had told them to do in order to protect uh, the nation of Israel to set them apart, to protect them. There are a lot of reasons for that. But the people in those days did not always understand the, the reason for the principles. And, and they did what a lot of us would do. And they would talk and gossip and judge and be ugly to people, right? And, and so imagine. So she, she does all this. She gets in the dirt and she, however it is that she gets to that tassel and she's healed and and now she's okay to be part of the crowd. Now she, for the first time, she can blend in. She, notice she didn't say, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, look at me, heal me. She, you know why? I don't think she wanted to make a fuss. I don't think she wanted any attention on herself. I think she just wanted to touch the Son of God in order to be healed, right? And so, so Jesus says, wait a minute, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. The disciples say, oh, well, you know, people are crowding around you. They're pushing. And he says, no, 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 no. I felt power go out of me. Somebody touched me. I think he knew who touched him. Uh, but he was, he was wanting her to stand up and be identified with that, wasn't he? You know, she was, she was kind of embarrassed. I'm sure she would have been embarrassed. But yet she gets over that. 
And she steps forward. She realizes she can't hide. She's, her, her cover's blown. She's got to fess up. And she says, yeah, it was me. I'm the one. And I was healed. As soon as I touched you, Jesus, you healed me. She was proclaiming the power of God at work in her life. You know, that's what we saw up here with baptism. That's what baptism is. Uh, baptism is, a, uh, is, 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 a, is a, an act of worship that we do, and when we do that, it presents the gospel, it tells a story, it's a way of, of saying, hey, I believe in Jesus. Baptism, that water baptism like this, this that, that doesn't save you. You're saved when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, when you trust through faith, and when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and covers over you or immerses you. That's what the word baptism means. The Greek word baptizo literally means to immerse. And so the Holy Spirit fills you up. You're immersed in the Holy Spirit. And God, uh, the, the old self dies. And, and through the power of God, there is a new self that is reborn. We see all of this in Scripture. And that is the story that baptism tells us. And so when we see someone baptized, it presents the gospel, but it's also their way of saying, hey, look, hey, I've been changed by the power of God. I've been changed. God, I want to give glory to him. You know, it's, there are people I've talked to that, uh, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, we talk about baptism, and, and, and they'll be like, well, I would, but I'm kind of afraid of getting up in front of people. You know, I'm, I don't like people looking at me. And listen, I understand that because that was me. I was saved when I was a senior in high school, but I didn't get baptized until uh, the Sunday after my senior year. And I know I've told you this before, but in case you've forgotten, whenever I went to get baptized, I knew that it was time to be baptized. I knew I had to do it. I felt conviction by God to do it. But listen, I didn't want to get up in front of anybody. And so I went, that our church did a Wednesday night prayer meeting, which was kind of like a Wednesday night sort of, uh, you know, they would have a little bit of prayer time. They'd sing a few old songs. It was about 15 to 20 senior adults, not anybody that I knew at that time. And they would come in there. And, of course, the preacher, when, you're, when you gather in the worship center and you see some, sing some songs, and he would do a little devotion after prayer time, he'd, you got to give an invitation. So I knew that there would be an invitation. And so I snuck in about halfway through that prayer meeting. I sat in the back, and as soon as that invitation came, I walked down there in front of 15 or 20 senior adult people, none of which I, I really knew, so I was really not, not super worried about uh, as much. I knew that it was better to go that day than to go on a Sunday morning where there might be two or 300 people there. And, and so I went down. I understand that. I, I get that. But there comes a time when... Your desperation for God and your commitment to Him fuels you more than your fear does. And you want to say, look at what God has done in my life. Here's a woman that was unashamed. She was physically healed. She was unashamed. And the fifth thing I want you to see about her is that she was healed spiritually. Because Jesus looks at her after she says, it was, it was me. I was healed. Praise God, I was healed. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. I want you to notice the first things that Jesus calls her daughter. Daughter, why does he call her daughter? Because in that moment when her faith, her faith in Christ drove her to reach out and touch the, the hem, 
the, the tassel on the hem of his garment. At that point, that was a faith that was in her heart. That wasn't just a, a, a faith like, hey, I believe that someone can do something for him. That was, I believe that he is the son of the Most High God, that he is the Holy Messiah, and I, I am putting my trust and my faith in him. That, friends, is what we call salvation. See, that's when she was not only healed physically, but she was healed spiritually. And when you're healed spiritually, Scripture tells us that you are adopted. It literally says in Ephesians, remember we've been studying Ephesians, the first chapter says that, literally says that God created us so that we would be adopted. He created humanity to be adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That whoever would trust Jesus Christ through faith would be adopted into the family of God. And so uh, he, he says, daughter, go in peace because she has been adopted into his family at that point. But also, some of your translations may say, instead of your faith has made you well or your faith has healed you, the same word for healed or made you well, the same Greek word is the same Greek word that, that's used whenever it says your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. See, how are we saved? Are we saved by good works? Are we saved by being a good person? Are we saved by all the things that we know or by being a member of a church? No, we're saved by faith in God, in God alone. And so we see a woman who had a problem that nobody could fix. She was desperate. She was healed physically. She was unashamed of what God was doing in her life, and she was healed spiritually. Now I want you to flip over real quickly to Luke 18. And uh, we're going to run through this a little quicker than what we ran through that one. But I want to compare these two accounts because in Luke 18 is an account that many of you are probably familiar with as well. It's the account of the rich young ruler. I'm going to read you uh, from Luke uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 18. So Luke 18, 18, and we're going to read down to verse 23. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good but, but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. I've kept all these from my youth, he said. And When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to, a, to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So here is a man, just like this woman in Luke 8. Here's a man that had a problem that was bigger than he was. It was a problem he could not fix. He was rich, he was wealthy, he was powerful. He had everything that, that, uh, uh, that, that television and media and Twitter and Instagram tells us that we want money and celebrity and influence and, and a platform and all these things, right? He had it all. But there's one thing he didn't have. He didn't have eternal life. In spite of everything he had, he could not secure eternal life. So he has this problem that he could not fix. And so, uh, so he goes to Jesus and, and, and he, he, he says, uh, he, he asks him, hey, what do I need to do to have eternal life? But see, unlike the woman in Luke 8, here's a man, he had a he, he did have the problem he couldn't fix. He did go to Jesus, but the, but the deal was, number two, is that he was not desperate for God. She was desperate for God. 
She was desperate to touch Jesus. Here's a guy that says, hey, tell me how to get to heaven. And, and Jesus, says, uh, Jesus says, well, yeah, well, if, if you want to go to heaven, all you got to do, um, yeah, I know you're a good person. You follow the laws. You do the commandments. That's all good. Jesus didn't challenge him on any of that. He says, now, the only thing you lack is to love God above all things. Love God above all things. And so you're going to demonstrate that by selling all your possessions and giving that to the poor. Because if you're willing to do that, See, that, 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 shows, that shows us that you have faith in God in your heart. And so, so it says that he was very sad when he heard that. He was hoping Jesus would say, well, well, well hey, if you want to go to heaven, one thing you lack is to say the Lord's Prayer 20 times every day for the next month. Okay, he thought it was going to be something like that. <laughs> That's not what he got. He said, if you, want, if you want heaven, you need to love God above everything. And he knew that the one thing that this man loved the most was his money because it gave him power and fame and influence and, and, and all of these things. But there was no desperation. That was, that was all fine and good. Then he walked away. So there's no desperation. There's also, we see number three, is that he was only unashamed of God when it was convenient for him. When he comes up to Jesus, he's his good teacher. Now you have to understand, this was a tremendously uh, uncommon term. I mean, he was kind of saying to Jesus, hey, uh, I believe you're God's son and everything. Can you tell me how to get to heaven? So he was, he was kind of being unashamed. He's like, hey, look at me. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I identify with Jesus. Jesus, I identify with you. Hey, tell me, how, it is, how is it that I'm supposed to get to heaven? And the reality is when Jesus told him how to get to heaven, which basically meant you got to have faith in me, you got to love me above everything, he suddenly he didn't really care anymore, did he? He was, he was unashamed at first, but then he walked away because it wasn't very convenient for him anymore. And then the last thing I want you to see is that he missed out on spiritual healing. After he heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was a man of great wealth. He went away sad. Jesus offered this man salvation. Do you understand that? He offered him salvation. He said, you can be saved if you trust me. Now, we don't know, by the way, what Jesus would have done if, if the man would have said, okay, I'll go tell me where to go. Who do I need to sell it to? What do I need to do? You know, it's kind of like when, when uh, God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, and right before he did it, he says, okay, stop, stop. <laughs> All right, you know, uh, we don't know. Jesus might have said, you know, your willingness to sell your fortune shows that you have great faith in me. We don't know. We don't know what this guy's name was. He might have been the 13th disciple that we named kids after. You know, Luke and Mark and Paul and all these names, Matthew, that we use and Peter. We don't know this man's name. That he may have been the 13th disciple. We don't know what could have happened to him because he missed out on spiritual healing. Two people... Two choices, two very different results. The question for you this morning is what choice will you make? Are you going to make choices like the woman with the bleeding disease that, were, that was desperate and believed in the power of God and, and that was willing to, to, uh, to do whatever it took to uh, see God work in her life? Or are you going to be like the rich young ruler who says, hey, I'll believe in you as long as it's convenient for me. Listen, don't, that, that's, as long as you don't take away something that I like, 
I'm going to worship you and follow you. See, that's not faith. That's not faith at all. What kind of choices are you going to make in your life? Is your life going to be defined by choices that you've made to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the testimonies of the power of God at work within you? Or is it going to be defined by choices where you've said, "Uh, not today, God, not this time, not with this thing. I'm not going to trust you at all. And so we all have choices to make in life. And the question is, what kind of person are we going to be? When at the end of your life, are you going to be, is your life going to be defined by a life that glorifies God? See, some of you may not be experiencing the power of God in your life because there's never been a time in your life where you've truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never put your faith and your trust in Him. He, you, you, you've never really opened your heart to the things of God. And because of that, the, the power of God is not, is, is not at work in your life. The Holy Spirit is not inside you, working inside you. And maybe this morning, your choice needs to be, I need to, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. That's why I asked Ross up there, I said, is it your testimony that Jesus is your Lord? Do you trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life? And maybe... Maybe this morning you need to make that choice. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've known Jesus, you've put your faith in Jesus, you've already touched the cloak and you have been healed and for some reason God is calling your name. Jesus is saying, I need you to step up and step out. I need you to identify, I need you to testify, I need you to tell, I need you to proclaim, I need you to serve. And maybe for whatever reason you hear that calling and you hear God moving you to do something, but maybe because of fear or embarrassment or uncomfort or awkwardness or whatever it may be, you've just kind of stayed in the background and tried to blend into the crowd. And maybe this morning is the day where you say, hey, here I am. I was healed by Jesus. Jesus changed my life and Lord I'm willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do in order to serve you. And so whatever it is that is um, on your heart, maybe it's time for you to start being more desperate for God. Maybe it's time that you become desperate for Christ to the point that your desperation to obey outweighs the fears and anxieties that have been holding you back. So whatever it is, I'm going to ask you, and what you'd ask yourself, I want you to ask God, what choice do you need to make today? Let's pray.